The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Father, we come. We thank you this morning that we have been included in your great ransom of lost men and women who have come to a saving knowledge of Christ by your grace and through faith. And we thank you for that. We thank you for what we've sung this morning. We thank you for the uplifting of the name of Christ through the reading of your word, through the singing of the word. And now, Lord, we pray for the preaching of the word. Lord, we thank you for this sacred time for us, this gathering together around the Lord's table. And so I pray now that you would quiet our hearts, that you give us a sense of your spirit and presence this morning, that we would be attuned to what you're doing in our hearts and our lives, and that as Jesus Christ is high and lifted up, may we be drawn to him. And so, Lord, my prayer is this, that Jesus and Jesus alone would be glorified. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles this morning, please turn to Isaiah chapter 52 this morning. Isaiah 52 this morning. This is a day that we celebrate for our church. The communion table is a time that we just stop. We stop everything. We stop the series that we're in. We stop whatever we're doing. And we remember. We reflect. And what we seek to do today is to clearly see the face of Jesus Christ. And I submit to you this morning, dear brother and sister, that clearly seeing the face of Jesus Christ is the secret to the Christian life, and is a secret to the community of believers that are gathered together this morning. And so we will look today at Isaiah chapter 12 and 13, and just a reminder, the book of Isaiah, now from the prophet Isaiah, was written around 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. Isaiah, prophet in Israel, of course, and in his book, there are what we call four servant songs. We, we find them in Isaiah 42, in Isaiah 49, in Isaiah 50, and then in Isaiah 52, chapter 52, verse 13, through the entire portion of Isaiah 53. And these servant songs are interesting because the writer is talking about a servant who would come, and, and early on in rabbinical teachings, all the rabbis, as they looked at these certain songs, truly believed that they all pointed to the Messiah. It was clear, and you will see that this morning. But what happened was, when Christ came and lived and died, they changed their tune and said, no, it's probably not the Messiah, it is probably talking about Israel. But I submit to you this morning, as we look at our text, you will clearly see, 700 years before the life and death of Jesus Christ, we get a clear picture of the Jesus that we worship this morning. It is clear. Theologian Walt Kaiser says this, talking about these four servant songs. He says, as you enter into the 50, to chapter 52 and, and 53, they are the most dramatic, for it is as if one has stepped from the holy place into the holiest of holies. 
And so, this morning, I want you to listen. I want you to listen intentionally. I want you to hear the scripture. Because you will see this morning from this text the most complete statement of the design, purpose, and significance of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Again, 700 years before it took place. And so, as we look at this fourth servant song, you need to understand there are five sections in this song. And they each have three verses apiece. And so, my plan this morning is to take every section, the three at a time, and to quickly run through. And, and I say that, and, and I don't really want to do it quickly, but we could spend a lifetime here. And I would encourage you, at least once a, once a month, to go back into Isaiah 52, verse 13, through the end of 53, and read and reflect and think. But this morning, we will click, quickly move through the first four sections of the five. And then section five, we will slow down. We'll actually stop. And look at verse number 12. Because in verse number 12, we will see why the Father rewards the Son. Why he divides the spoil with him. Why his name is great and why he is exalted. And my prayer this morning as we look at verse number 12, we will see in our own lives why Jesus Christ should be loved, adored, and served faithfully by his people this morning. And so, look with me now at Isaiah chapter 52, starting at verse 13, our first section. And this is sort of the, the mystery of the servants of Isaiah. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently or wisely. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astonished at thee, his appearance was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him. For that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they have not heard shall they consider. It's interesting, he starts out, and there's this mystery. We, we, we're not quite sure yet what he's talking about, but he says that this servant will deal wisely. He will be successful. And as he lives on this planet, the world and the earth will be astonished at the treatment that he receives. It will be so brutal. His suffering will be so painful that they look at him, and he doesn't even appear to be a man. It's shocking. And just as they were shocked by his humanity and brutality, they will once again be shocked in a day coming that every mouth will be stopped. And the kings of this world and the magistrates and the presidents and the premiers will all stop their mouth because they will see the one who was crucified now is coming as the king. This is our mysterious servant. And we're already clued in to who he is. Second section, Isaiah 53. In light of this mysterious servant who will shock the world by his brutality and then by a future day of his coming, Isaiah 53 says, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground, he hath no form or majesty. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. 
He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Going from the mystery of this man, now we see the rejection. Isaiah says, who has believed our report? And that report certainly does include everything that the Old Testament was saying about this servant, this Messiah who would come. That he would be born from the line of David, from the tribe of Judah, in the place of Bethlehem. That he would be poor, that he would, he would have the spirit upon him, that he would open blind eyes, that he would raise the dead. And all of these reports, and Isaiah says, who in the world would believe this report? But it goes further than that. Because this report is about a coming Messiah, a coming king, who will make all things right, and he will make us right. This report that no one can believe is really the report of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you something, my friend? The gospel of Christ is a gospel and a message that no man or woman would ever make up. Because in our hearts and in our minds, we believe that there's something we can do. There's an activity that we can perform. We can somehow merit the favor of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ This report says, no, there is nothing you can do. This is the work of the arm of the Lord. Who will believe this? And I think for us this morning, too many of us, we take this for granted. Because we believed it, we've received it, we've accepted this gospel. But the fact of the matter is, this gospel is mind-blowing. This gospel tells us that wicked men and women women can be completely forgiven and cleansed and brought into right relationship with God. It is so mind-boggling that, there, that just a few chapters after this, in Isaiah 55, we were talking about this the other day in our growth group, but Isaiah 55 is a beautiful chapter, and it, and it says, um, it talks about, I think it begins like, ho, oh, like, hey, pay attention, um, you who are thirsty... Come and find something to drink. And you who have no money, come and buy bread and be filled and satisfied. And he's making this invitation for those who have nothing to come. And in that chapter, there's this great phrase that we all quote where God says, My thoughts are not your your thoughts. And my ways are above your ways, as high as the heaven is above the earth. And we quote that all the time. But you need to know something. That quote, that statement from God, comes on the heels of this statement. The reason God says, my mind and my ways are so far above yours, you can't get it, is because prior to this, he's given the invitation for everyone to come to receive. You have no money, buy bread, you're thirsty, be satisfied. And then he says, if the wicked will turn, the holy God of heaven will have compassion. And then he says will abundantly pardon. And then God says, I know, I know, I know, you don't believe this. But my ways are so much greater than your ways. And my thoughts are far above your thoughts. And my report, this good news, this proclamation that we just take for granted today, it's God sent. And so the message comes And Isaiah says, the message is rejected. 
And men and women today, even in our congregation, you hear the gospel and you have become weary of hearing what you've never heard. Because this gospel is a glorious truth that men and women can be redeemed, but yet it's rejected because you're going to do and you're going to be and you were born, and your parents are, and you're keeping the list, and God says no, but we reject the message, and the messenger has been rejected. When Christ comes to his people who were looking for the Messiah, and when you hear that word, you, you ought to just say king, 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 Messiah, the anointed one. Israel was waiting for a king, and in their mind, the king was just to deliver them from all of their oppressors. And you, you see their history and you know, what a desire. We've been under the thumb and under the boot of every major empire, and now Rome. And so when he shows up, they're waiting for a king to deliver, and yet they missed all of the servant songs who talk about him suffering and struggling and giving of himself. He doesn't seem to fit the bill. He's not royal enough. He's not majestic enough. He's rustic. He's menial. You look at him and it's like, nah. Not this one. Shouldn't surprise us. This is how God works. He takes the things that are not and makes something of them. But he comes and he's rejected. The next segment is Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. We've gone from the mystery of the servant to the rejection of the message and the messenger. And now his atonement, Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we, just seem, we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. We see here the atonement. This servant will bear the punishments that he did not owe. Listen again. This servant, this messenger, this king will bear the punishment that did not belong to him. It says there, he was wounded, he was bruised, his punishment, his stripes, they were not for him. It was for our transgression, our breaking trust, that God gave humanity the opportunity to live in perfect fellowship, receiving his love and giving his love, and we are to reflect the glory of God to all around us. This is your calling. This is my calling. We are image bearers of God, and it should be that when we show up, we should bring shalom. We should bring peace. They should see the kingdom in our lives, and even for God's people, we are failing miserably at this, let alone this world that we live in. We have broken trust. God has entrusted humanity to reflect his image to others, and we have broken that trust. It was for our iniquity, our crooked behavior. We can look straight. We can dress right. But we are crooked. Our hearts are crooked. Our actions are crooked. Our motives are crooked. We are crooked people. He says all of this was for our transgression, our iniquity, for our peace, 
and our healing. Jesus Christ atoned. And then he, he gives this statement. He says, all we like sheep have gone astray. And he likens humanity to this flock of sheep that they all move in the same direction. They all follow the leader. They all do the same things. And it's a reminder for all of us that we are sinners by nature. Like a flock of sheep, we all turn our back. We all go our own way. We all create our own reality. We are sinners by nature. And then he says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every man his own way. We are sinners by choice. Each of, this morning, of us this morning have willfully rebelled. We have created our own reality. We have come up with our own laws and our own ways. We have snubbed God and said we don't need you. And yet Christ comes to bear the atonement and the punishment that we owed. Next section, Isaiah 53, verses 7 through 9. We see here his submission of the perfect one, the holy one. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgressions of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit found in his mouth. We now see his submission to what's happening around him. He submits to suffering. As we go through the gospel accounts and we see what was done to Christ, the humiliation, the mocking, the spitting, the punching, the beating, the pounding on his head with a rod, he submits to all of it. He surrenders to the suffering. And not only does he surrender he doesn't even open his mouth. He doesn't even cry out, not fair, not me, I'm perfect. This should not be for me. He says nothing. As a sheep before its shears is dumb, he opens not his mouth. He doesn't revile those who are killing him. A matter of fact, what he does say is this. Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. He submits to the suffering. He submits to death. This one who could have called the host of heaven to completely free him and deliver and cast judgment on the spot does not do it. He submits to death, and not only death, the most excruciating death that could be imagined at the time. The fact is, we get the word excruciating from crucifixion. He suffered agony. He submitted to it. And then he submits to his burial. I always find this intriguing. Maybe it means nothing to you. But in verse 9 he says, And he made his grave with the wicked. The word wicked is plural. Remember, Isaiah is writing 700 years before the fact. And he says, This servant who atones and submits, he makes his grave with the wicked, plural. A thief on the left hand and on the right. And then he says, in verse number 9, with the rich in his death. And the rich, of course, is singular. He's buried in one man's grave, Joseph of Arimathea. And so this Savior submits. And the final segment 
verses 10 through 12 this morning. Isaiah says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, to crush him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge, shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. And here we have the exaltation of this one. It pleased the Lord to crush him. And, and this is not, well, the father is so statistic, he just wants to crush the son. That's not what's happening here. This idea of crushing the son is, to, is for the fulfillment of the great purpose of God's redemption. It pleased the Father because he knew that in this act, the Son, who we'll see in a moment, came voluntarily before the Father. I will die. In this act, redemption would be complete. And so the Father was pleased. His love for us crushes the Son. And it says, because of that, he is exalted. And we've, we've taken this journey now from the, the mystery of this one, the rejection, the atonement, and, uh, and then the submission, and now the exaltation. Now look with me now at verse number 12, and we'll just slow down for a second. Verse number 12. In light of everything we've just read, therefore, right, therefore, that's how we read the word, therefore, in light of everything we've just said, therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and shall divide the spoil with the strong. And God is going to give us now the reason the Father has rewarded Christ and has exalted him. This idea of dividing the spoil it has the picture of a, a victorious conquering king that, that now he's won, completely won, and he gets the reward. And so he says, here's the reason the Father rewards him and exalts him. And again, I submit to you this morning now as we slow down for just a moment, this is the reason as we look at these four statements that you and I who know him this morning should love, adore, and serve. Verse 12, he poured out his soul unto death. Why is the Father pleased? Why is he rewarded? Why should we love, adore, and serve this one? Because he, not the Romans, not the Jews, not the Sanhedrin or the Pharisees. He poured out his soul unto death. Listen to John chapter 10. Jesus speaking, and here's what he says. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father." Jesus Christ voluntarily laid his life down for you and for me. The great Princeton theologian Warfield says, this was the voluntary endurance of unutterable anguish. He laid down his life. He didn't simply die. He was condemned on a cross. He laid down his life. It was for us that he walked through 
our death, our punishment, our sin. He poured out his soul, his righteous soul, his holy soul, his perfect being, poured it out for you and for me. He poured out his soul unto death. You should be loved and adored. That's why he is rewarded. Number two, he is numbered with transgressors. He was numbered with the transgressors. Literally, rebels. Rebels. Counted primarily among sinners who need what he can offer. This Jesus, this perfect one, is numbered, is associated with those who are transgressors, those who are sinners, and those who are rebels. So often in our lives, we think that God must be attracted to us and must long for us and must save us because we're lovely. And we deserve that. And I'm here to tell you, it is not our loveliness that wins him or his love. It is our unloveliness. There is something about Christ who sees our brokenness and moves toward it. He moves toward it. And we see this in his life on the planet. His enemies said, oh, we know about you. You're a friend of tax collectors, which everyone hated, and sinners, the most base people that we know that are disgusting, that we marginalize, we would not touch. They say of him as an insult, you are a friend of sinners. That's who you are. And Jesus, instead of saying, no, you got it all wrong, takes that as a badge of honor. That Jesus Christ is numbered with transgressors, not only in his death, but while he walked this planet, in his life, he is a friend to sinners. The God of heaven, the holy, perfect one, is a friend to the transgressor, is a friend to the rebel, is a friend to the sinner. And at the very least, it means as a friend, he enjoys spending time with you. There are people I have to spend time with. There are people you have to spend time with. Some of them might be family members. I don't know. Now's not the time for confessions. <laughs> it might be people you work with every day. But with friends, we enjoy spending time. This Jesus does not despise you. He calls you his friend. And he pursues you. He pursues you. This text always amazed me in the book of John. That, that it says, and Jesus must needs go through Samaria. If you're a Jew in the first century, you never needs go through Samaria. The fact of the matter is, you, with all of your power, 
You avoid Samaria. You avoid the half-breeds. You avoid those cursed, unclean people. You don't want to defile yourself by going through Samaria. You would rather take the long route and add hours or days to your journey instead of going through Samaria. But that's not what he did. The Bible says he must needs go. For what? For a comfortable hotel? For a good meal? Not at all. He goes for a woman who is broken, who has tried every avenue of life for fulfillment, who has come up empty over and over again and so despised by community that she has to go out and get water during the day because no one wanted to be near her in the heat of the day and she comes to the well. Jesus must needs go for that Samaritan woman. He's a friend to sinners and he wins her to himself. My brother and sister this morning, as believers, I hope you understand this, you get into the club because you say you're a sinner. We have jackets. Sinner. That's what we come. We understand. And we this morning have to stop and think that this Christ has pursued us. You and I should take time and just look at our life from before we knew Christ to where he found us and see how over and over and over again this Jesus pursued you. I was on my way in this morning thinking about my childhood and thinking about times in the quietness of my own heart at 7, 8, 10, 12 that, that Christ was pursuing me. He was numbered with transgressors. At the very least, he enjoys spending time with. Um, and not only this, um, sinners feel comfortable around him. Sinners feel comfortable around him. Sinners were drawn to Jesus. When there's a party happening, sinners show up. Because he's there. There was something different about him. He wasn't ashamed to be associated with him. A matter of fact, he, he showed love, unconditional love. The, the great Puritan Thomas um, Goodwin says, Christ is love covered over in flesh. And so sinners see it. It's different. And so he comes to them and they are comfortable about him. He enjoys rather than refuses. Here's the, the third thing. He bore the sins of many. He bore the sins of many. And my friend, this morning, he is the only one who can bear the sins of anyone. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not Joseph Smith, or Brigham Young, or Mary Baker Eddy, or any other person. He is the way, the truth, and the life. This Jesus became the scapegoat. He removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. And not only did he bear the sins of many, listen to the attitude as he bears your sin and my sin on a cross. Hebrews chapter 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy... For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. This Savior, for the joy before him, endured the cross. That joy for you and me and our redemption. And for Christ, in the midst of all that suffering, it was joy. 
This Jesus bore the sins of many. He moves towards sin. He moves towards suffering. And not only does he move toward it, he enters in. Uh, this song by Stephen Curtis Chapman was part of a, a series of songs in the story, and it's How Love Wins. And I just I thought about this this week. I thought this, this pretty much sums up this idea of bearing the sins of many. It says, this is how love wins every single time. Climbing high upon a tree where someone else should die. This is how love heals the deepest part of you, letting himself bleed into the middle of your wounds. This is what love says, standing at the door. You don't have to be what you've been before. Silenced by his voice, death can't speak again. This is how love wins. And love did win. Because Jesus Christ bore the sins of many. And this morning, my brother and sister, you and I do not have to be what we once were. He bore your sins and mine. And then finally this morning, he makes intercession. He's rewarded, he's exalted, he should be loved and adored and served because this Jesus makes intercession. The atonement accomplishes salvation, but intercession is the moment-by-moment -moment application of that atonement. An intercessor is a third party who finds two parties and makes the case for the one against the other. And this is what Jesus Christ is doing right now. He is making intercession. This is his heart. And listen... He is making intercession before the Father. And it's not because the Father can't stand us. It was the Father's love who sent him. But this is the heart of Jesus. Dave Orthland, author, writes this. Uh, the heart that carried him from life to death on behalf of his people is the heart that now manifests itself in constant pleading with and reminding and prevailing upon his Father to always welcome us. Jesus is making intercession for us right now, pleading before the Father that you and I will be welcomed into the holy, perfect presence of God. He is pleading always to Father's gaze, not to my sin, not to my brokenness, not to my mistakes and my past and the ugliness of my own sin, not to the guilt and the shame and all of it. None of that. Some of us, we've been living in shame for a long, long time. It's time to retire that because there's a Christ who right now is making intercession saying, Father, this one is mine. She's mine. And you don't need to look at anything. I've covered it. Look at my righteousness. This is the Christ we serve. He is making intercession for us. I can almost hear the words of Christ to you and I this morning as we struggle in our own sins and suffering and shame. Fear not. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You're mine. I paid the price. And it will never be your righteousness. You have none. It will be mine. And as I plead with the Father, his gaze comes off of all of your past and looks to me 
and the miracle of all miracles, we are perfect. We are perfect. Christ is praying for us even when we are negligent in our own prayer life, says the great theologian Burkhoff. And he's right. And so, my brother and sister in Christ this morning, in light of what we have just seen and heard, why the Father exalts this Jesus and why he will ultimately win the victory for all of these things that we talked about, is it not incumbent upon us to love him? To adore him? Quit playing in your silly Christianity. Stop. If your Christianity is coming to church and doing your thing Monday through Saturday, stop. That's, that's, you've missed everything. This Christ has given you everything. And he is worthy. And so quit with your silliness. Quit with your nonsense. Quit with being tied up and wrapped up in all the garbage of this world and see him for who he is. You are redeemed. You are saved. He's borne your sin. He's removed it as far as the east is from the west. Of all people this morning, we should be rejoicing. He is worthy. And so as we take the cup, as we, we look at the, the redness of it and remember the blood, as we feel the bread, may we just stop and think and adore and love and leave this place different from the way we came in. Don't give him your leftovers. He's not impressed. Read the list again. He should not be impressed. Nor should you think it's acceptable. Give him everything because he is worthy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. We thank you for this great portion of scripture. And Lord, the fact is there's no human tongue that can do it justice. None. None. It is deeper than we could ever imagine. And so, Father, I pray that you would just allow your spirit to speak into the hearts and lives of your people. Help them to see clearly what you have done in our lives. And Lord, to change us. Help us not to leave this place by flicking on a radio or watching TV and forgetting everything we just heard and experienced. Convict us. Challenge us, change us, forgive us. Help us to see the love that you have for us and help that to motivate us to love and to serve you. Not because we have to, but we long to. So bless this time of communion, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll ask the men to join me at this time. Tom and Dan, as you partake in the Lord's table this morning, you might want to go ahead and prepare your cup. It's a little different. Wafer and juice. Again, we invite all those who know Christ as their Savior to join us around the Lord's table this morning. If you don't know Jesus, we would love to talk to you and encourage you and answer any questions we can. He, he, he died to save you, and you can know this. And so we invite all those who know Christ as their Savior since the time of their conversion have baptized him and believers baptized in him, in believer's baptism, to join us around the Lord's table this morning. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. But the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he broke it, he blessed it. 
Tom, would you pray for the bread this morning? Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who is the perfect, sinless Lamb of God. He humbled himself, becoming a servant by becoming a man. He spoke truth in our lives. He healed our, di our diseases. He caused no pain, no hurt, no offense mm. to any other. But he was maligned, accused falsely, and railed against. He was arrested, beaten, mocked, and marred beyond recognition. Mm -hmm. Then he was nailed to the criminal's cross to die a humiliating death, the death that we deserve. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for our sins, mm -hmm. that we might be forgiven and set free to live for you. May we never forget or take for granted the body that was broken for us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Thank you, Tom. Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Eat and remember. continues and says after the same manner also to the cup when he had supped. Pastor Dan, would you pray for the cup this morning? Father Lord, I thank you that you are a God who is the friend of sinners. Mm -hmm. And Lord, this invitation to partake in the Lord's Supper tonight, first of all, it reminds us how unworthy we are. Mm -hmm. God, that we're sinners, that we are rebels against a holy God that each one of us does not deserve your love. Mm -hmm. We do not deserve grace or compassion or mercy. We only deserve condemnation, mm -hmm. and we are guilty. And, and ultimately, Lord, we deserve punishment. But Christ stepped in and shed his blood for us. Mm -hmm. And God, this invitation makes us so grateful that as we remember the body and the blood of Christ, we remember that Christ came to give his life for us, to give us hope, to pay the debt that we owed and to, to have the wrath of a holy God poured on his head instead of mine. I can't believe, Lord, that I get to experience eternal joy with you forever because the wrath that I deserve was absorbed by the Son, that he died in my place. And so, God, I thank you, and, and we, we, we love you. Uh, we don't love you like we should, but, Lord, we do love you, and I pray that um, you would just bless this time together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jesus took the cup and said, this cup is the New Testament, New Covenant, in my blood. This do you as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. Drink and remember. For as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you show the Lord's death till he comes. And may we be faithful in showing his death and his life and his salvation. Thanks for him translate and change lives. God bless you for being here this morning. Just uh, one quick announcement. There is a blessing tree in the back. It's a time when our people bring in hats and gloves and sewed mitts and scarves and things.
They go out to some community projects in our, in our town, but if you have a need for your family, you're welcome to take those things as well, and they'll be, they'll be full until around Christmas time. And at this time, I want Jack and Margaret to please come uh, to the front, if you would. We've announced them uh, probably like a year ago now, it seems, because we, we had them announced, and then we had the shutdown, and then the outside service. But we've had a chance to really enjoy Jack and Margaret and get to know them better. And uh, they're coming this morning to be part of Maple City Baptist Church. And so all those in favor of, of welcoming them into our community, let it be known by a good hearty amen. Amen. Anyone opposed to that? All right, so they'll be in the front here. You welcome them. We're so glad to have you as part of our membership officially. Uh, God bless you both, and God bless you for being here. Uh, you're dismissed.